HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Juul, the immersion circulator for sous vide by Chef Steps. Order now at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45 from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today's program is brought to you by Modernist Pantry, providing magical ingredients for the modern cook. For free videos, recipes, tips, and tricks, visit blog.modernistpantry.com and call all of your cooking-related questions in to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Joined, as usual, in the studio by Nastasia of the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? Good. Yeah? Doing mm-hmm. good? And we got uh, we got my man Dave in the booth. What's going on? Also good. That was a staring read of that ad. I love that. Yeah, well, you know, if you're gonna do if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, you gotta do it as part of the you know, it's it takes me at least uh, five hundred milliseconds to gear into that voice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Stas, you ever see me like uh, when we, when I come in I'm hacking, like like hacking up blood getting off the bike and like yeah. and then as soon as it hits we do it. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about, people. It's not about. It's about making yourself feel what you need to feel. Yeah, I mean that was like Henry V for me out here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Shaka Spar. Okay, so uh, what do you, you have? Anything good? Happy Valentine's Day, people. Oh yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have any? Anyone out there in uh, in uh, Heritage Radio Land have any last minute Valentine's Day issues they need to address? Call them in to seven one eight four nine seven two one two. Food related. Well, I mean, I wouldn't take I wouldn't take relationship advice from either of us. I don't know. Maybe Dave could give. We, we have a whole show based on relationship advice. What's that show, Dave? Issues. No, uh, no. Love bites. What? Yeah, love bites. Yeah. yeah. Listen, in the in the in the lead up to this, uh, where you know you you guys are pimping out uh, Heritage Radio, it's like if you want to get behind the scenes in the restaurant world, people. You don't want to go behind the scenes in the restaurant world. That's the last place on earth you want to be. Do you think, does anybody think for a second, right? I mean, like, everyone likes those shows where, like, you know, people go behind the scenes and yell at people and all kinds of things are going wrong. 
But if, like, you felt like you were behind the scenes in the restaurant world, how many people do you think would actually try to get into the business and stuff? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Behind the scenes, your paycheck is like nothing. That's behind behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, you know, the behind the scenes everyone wants to get into is like, yeah. is like, uh, yeah, it's like, oh, oh, we're, we're cooking good food. Mm-hmm. We're, we're yelling at each other. We have camaraderie. You know what I mean? Changing the world. Yeah. You no, know. yeah, right. Yeah, right. You're changing at least the, you know, your diner's next 15 minutes. But, like, they, <laughs> but they, yeah, like, what they don't see is like, I didn't get the good shift because the manager's a jack wad. You know what I mean? Or like, you know, the manager's sleeping with that other person and they got the good shift and I didn't. And look at my paycheck. Oh. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? That's the side of the restaurant. <gasps> the behind the scenes. That's the behind the behind <laughs> the scenes. That's like what's really going on behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm. Hey, it's good, man. It's all good. Or like, uh, you, know what, you know what, like uh, the hardest thing... And, like, uh, I've never had to deal with it, so... I mean, that's not true. I mean, a long, long time ago. But, like, you know, the idea of just not knowing how much you're going to make. That's the weird thing. Not for cooks, but, like, for front-of-house people. Mm-hmm. Just have no idea what you're going to... I mean, you know kind of what you're going to make after you average it out. But, like, not a busy not a busy night. You're yeah. cut. Go home. Yeah, oh. yeah, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't mm-hmm. it, it's a weird business. Mm-hmm. Hey, you got a call about crab legs. Ooh, crab legs. You're on the air. Hey, Dave. It's uh, Brandon Bird calling in. I do. Um... <laughs> Doing well, doing well. Hope you are. Um, I got a uh, nice couple of clusters of king crab legs. Uh, obviously pre-cooked, you know, frozen at sea. Uh, and I was wondering if you had a preferred method of reheating those beyond the usual uh, steaming, or if that's the tried and true method for a reason. Um, well, okay. First of all, like, like, uh, so what kind of prep? What kind of prep are you doing? Most of the time, when I get those things, I do, I do cold prep with them. Except for like when I'm actually cooking them. But last time I cooked, because we used to do a thing where we would buy whole king crab live, which is intensely awesome. It's so good. You should do it someday. It's expensive, <laughs> but uh, but we steamed the we steamed it and then we we chilled it. We still still uh, served it chilled. I would say, look, they're already cooked at a very high temperature, right? Because that's how they do it. Uh, and in fact, I happen to, after you know many years of playing with it, enjoy shellfish if it's going to be cooked. I don't want it overcooked, but I want it cooked at a fairly high temperature. Um, so I would say steaming is good because it's relatively rapid. I don't think you're going to do anything to the meat that hasn't already been done to the meat, and you're not going to leach anything in or out because it's relatively fast and you have relatively small contact between the cooking medium and the um, and, and the and the environment. I mean, between the cooking medium and the thing you're cooking. Uh, so. You know, plus like those long skinny things in a pile, steam gets between them really nicely. I mean, you wouldn't want to go boil them. That would be insane. You'd be an insane person if you did that to throw all that money into a pot and leach all the flavor out of it. You'd be crazy. That'd be a crazy person's thing to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. What are you going to do with it? Um, well, I'm going to bust out kitchen shears and kind of uh, pre slice open the shells just to make them less finicky at the table. Right. Um, and then just, you know, Steam them and do them with drawn butter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what kind of what kind of equipment do you have available to you? Uh, I've got a circulator, uh, pressure cooker, uh, steam baskets. Uh, I right. don't know. What are, do you have? Have special stuff? Uh, well, I'm saying like you know, if you own something like a sea vat. See, here's the thing, right? So when you're cooking, uh, when you're cooking 
uh, shellfish, you want the cook time to be relatively low, right? That's uh, why you know steaming is good. Like long cooking times are not beneficial for shellfish. Um, there's a number of reasons for this. Some of them, I think, are enzymatic. So, for instance, we used to do this demo where we would cook shrimp at a very, very low temperature for a long time, and it would turn to mush, right? Like paste, disgusting. Uh, mm. Now, some of that's probably enzymatic, but some of it. Um, might also be that the stuff just gets mushy as it's cooked down because of the way um, the connective tissue is breaking down over time, just getting getting mushy, right? So, like, it could be that you, what you want – I mean, not could be. It's my feeling that what you want is relatively fast um, cooking times on it. That said – I think I've heard other people say that once it's cooked to a high temperature, that they can do a hot hold on it for a relatively long period of time at relatively low temperatures without having degradation. So like what I would test, like what you could do if you had like a long, long, long time, right, is throw them in a, in a, in a bag, no extra water, you know what I mean? And then um, just throw them into a circulator bath, uh, at, you know, at like – at like, you know, 60, which is 140, or, or somewhere around there, and just give it enough time to heat. I have no idea how long it would take to heat up because you have the air gap you got to heat up, and then you got to heat. Um, the heating through the shell is not a big problem, but then you got to heat the meat. But what I don't know is if hot holding the meat would, um, if it would degrade it. Right over the amount of time it would take for you to heat it up versus steaming it. You're going to steam it for what, like five minutes? You know what I mean? Something like this? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. So, like, I think that steaming is probably going to do less damage. If you had access to, let's say, a combi oven, right, then I would throw it in and I would do 100% humidity at some kind of middle range temperature to, to see, see kind of what's going on. And I would keep it probably under <clears> – I would try to keep everything under about 10, 15 minutes, which is what I normally shoot for – when I'm cooking uh, like, a, like a lobster – when I'm cooking a lobster, for instance, I want to keep my cook times under about 15 minutes for texture reasons no matter what temperature I'm cooking to. But again, I don't know whether that is only important during primary cook time or whether it's important during primary or secondary. Another thing is like when you listen to people talking about hot-holding shellfish, most of the time people are hot-holding shellfish – they're not hot holding uh, – at least that's, uh, I shouldn't say this. When people have asked me about it, they're not hot holding uh, whole pieces of shellfish for people like tails uh, or uh, legs for a king crab. And so I think your ability to hot hold something in a sauce is a lot different because your textural expectations are very different for something that's in a sauce versus something that is uh, like a whole muscle or a leg or something like that. Make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Sure, I have had yeah. – uh, some luck before in the past where I took the meat out, put it in a bag with some butter, and just let it come up to temperature in like 10 minutes. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, you want to serve it in the fine. shell, that's right? A bit fussy with a whole bunch of legs to go through all that work. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, on the other hand, is this like the first course in a Valentine's Day meal? Uh, no, we're uh, just going to be surf and turf um, with uh, some sous vide tenderloin. Not my favorite. Uh, Cut, but it's my wife's favorite. So. Yeah, it's all about it's all about who you're cooking for, not you know, not yourself. Uh, but the um, here's here's another thing I would say. Like part of the problem with king crab legs, right, or anything like this, is that uh, a lot of the um, 
awesome, a lot of the kind of presentation style awesome is the big old leg. And some people really enjoy ripping me, for instance, uh, really enjoy uh, ripping the meat out of the shell, right? So, like, you know, like if someone were to take the meat out of a lobster for anything other than a lobster roll, I would be kind of pissed because I enjoy shredding those things up into tiny pieces and having shell bits stick on my, uh, you know, the person next to me's face. Like, Stas, you've eaten lobster with me before, haven't you? No. But you wouldn't want but to. I would not You'd not want, not want to. to. Like little, no. I once hit her with a piece of uh, inside of a. What was it? What kind of, was that? Like a, it was like a grouse or a woodcock. Yeah. And you got hit in the face with a piece of like stinky, like aged inside. Yeah. And you were like, mm, mm. yeah, nah, terrible. <laughs> but what do you like eating out of the shell or not out of the shell stuff? Not out of the shell. Anyway, so my point being that um, I don't know about your wife, but some people would love if someone took the meat out of the shell for them. But here's the other problem. When you're spending all the money on the king crab leg, if it's out of the shell, it's like, pop, 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 gone. You know what I mean? It's gone. All that money gone down the throat, especially if I'm eating it. And I don't know. Maybe your wife savors things and it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for me, like, it's, it's always a, a play between this and that. But if, it's, if it is part of a larger course, you also have to think about the time it takes someone to extract the meat, they could be doing other things like eating their steak. So, if, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, so I remember once we, uh, I served a first course of crabs, like, I think I forget, it was Dungeness or something like this, and everyone spent their entire time breaking open the, the all the crab parts, and then, you know, nobody wanted to eat by the time uh, they got to their main course. I mean, that's how you have, like, a whole meal of crabs is because it takes so freaking long to get the meat out of the crab that you get full just with time. You just get, you know, you just get sick of it. It's time to go to bed before you get full. I mean, have you ever been full of crab meat? Um, yeah, once upon a time, it, it did take quite a while. Yeah, I, like, I have it, a follow-up question that refers to that, but go on. All right, well, I'm saying, like, if you go to, like, a Maryland-style crab house, especially nowadays when the crabs are so tiny and all-you-can-eat crabs, it's not all-you-can-eat crabs. It's when do you go to bed? When are they shutting the kitchen down? Right. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't possibly – do you like eating crabs and stuff? Not really. Well, this is my question. Where in New York can you get all-you-can-eat crabs? Because I'm at a loss. I can't find it. Um, there used to be a place – it wasn't all-you-can – hey, look, all-you-can-eat also depends on how much, you know, your credit card can withstand. Because you can just hand them your credit card and be like, keep bringing it until I'm done. No, no, not like that. I mean, like you pay a flat, whatever, 30, 40 bucks, and you get all the crabs that you can yeah, eat. There used to be a place, I, I, I don't go out anymore, that, but there used to be a place over in, um, in like Brooklyn on the water somewhere that did it. But I'm talking not, not like. the one in Red Hook, right? I don't know. It was like 15 years Brooklyn ago. Crab. Yeah. I don't, what, what, and it's out of it. Did it get swamped by the hurricane years ago? No, it's there still, but they don't do an all you can eat. Oh, yeah. No, that wasn't the place I was thinking of. But anyway, I don't know. I don't know. If you if anyone finds one in New York, let's all somebody call in, please. We'll go eat. We'll eat it all. What's your What's your follow up question, Dave? That That was it. Oh yeah, I don't know. So uh, So one thing you could do is just do what you did before, but then you don't have the presentation of the uh, of the shell. And if you want to get really freaking fussy about it, you cut the legs all the way in half down, reserve the shell, heat the meat, and replace it pre-buttered onto the freaking leg. That's Valentine's Day for you, baby. Uh, that's baller. That's baller. Pain in the, pain in the butt, though. <laughs> what else you got? Thanks, Dave. That's it? All right. Well, yeah, have, a, uh, have a happy Valentine's Day. Thanks. Same to you. All right. Um, all right. So we had a question in from uh, Matt. And the first thing, uh, my, my phone has decided to go into tiny type. 
That's be a good band name, Tiny Type. There's but, another caller if you want to do that. Oh, yeah. All right, caller. We'll take a call. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave. It's uh, Matt calling from Mystic. Hey. I'm not, the Matt, I'm not the Matt that wrote in. All right. But, how, uh, how goes it? How's I, Mystic? I how much snow you got? Between uh, the Profi Whip and the Gourmet Whip and the EC canisters. Okay. Uh, is there any substantial difference between the canisters and the heads? Like the half a quart one will fit on the one quart one as well, right? Yeah, okay. So I don't remember which – I never remember which line is which, but EC has at least three different models of um, of unit. And I'm not talking like the ones that are thermally insulated versus not. I'm talking about like lines, like Profi versus the other one. They had an even lower grade one years ago that had plastic heads on it that were for a consumer only. Um, they all are completely interchangeable. So you can stick the head of any unit that EC has ever made uh, for a, a whipper. You know, the, obviously the um, the uh, the Seltzer siphons are not interchangeable um, with, with the with the whippers. But a- any model they've made, and I've tested models up to uh, about twenty five years old, are completely one hundred percent interchangeable. There are differences between the uh, heads, um, some of which, especially on the newer ones, and I forget when they introduced this, but it's probably something in the area of, uh, you know, 15 years ago or something. They have extra safety features in the in the newer heads. Um, if you look at the threads in the uh, head of uh, one of the any recent one that you're likely to get. Uh, you'll notice that they're uh, what's called interrupted threads. They have a a, a line milled out of them, and that's a, an escape vent such that if you need to open it under pressure, which is actually very difficult to do, uh, you you know it'll vent down that line uh, before the top disengages. So you're never going to get the top blowing off of the bottom as you unscrew it. The uh, they've changed the nature. The different series have different gaskets on the inside, uh, which, by the way, the gaskets are also, to the best of my knowledge, 100% interchangeable. So you can take the gasket from one and put it into another. The actual, I think also the screw attachments, I think, are 100% um, interchangeable. The exception being the old plastic uh, home ones don't have a screw-in uh, whipper tip. They have a push-in whipper tip, so that's not interchangeable. But... Um, all the other aspects of it, I think, are interchangeable. The actual valve parts on the bottom are not. I think those are all different from unit to unit. Um, but everything else pretty much is. The threads on the CO2 uh, things are completely interchangeable. Um, I've never had one that's not. Um, is that true? I think that's true. I think that's true. Yeah, I think they're 100% interchangeable. You know, because like, uh, it would be hard for them to make it not. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, yeah. Cool. I have the I have the half liter one, and I've been like looking. I've been scouring eBay to find a one liter one, and I just wanted to make sure that, uh, like, from a safety standpoint or anything like that, there wouldn't be a problem. No, those Austrians, man. They're like they they're so hyped on safety, which is which is why like um, they provided for me when I was writing uh, Liquid Intelligence. They provided for me. Uh, a series of um, pressures in at, in different liquids at different temperatures in different bottles, at, you know, with different numbers of chargers, and they literally would not provide me for data that they knew because I spoke to their engineers. They data they knew it was safe on their unit, but they wouldn't put it in in case you used a unit 
that was manufactured by somebody else that didn't have the safety features that theirs did that might blow up. So they, you know, the, you literally cannot put into uh, an, an EC uh, enough of a pressure that it will um, that it will explode because it will back vent before. This is what they tell me. It'll back vent through the um, through the CO two entry point or through the N2O entry point, rather, before it explodes. The second mode of failure in, um, in an EC bottle is that the bottom that's dimpled in, right, that you know, looks like a champagne bottle on the bottom, that right. dimple will invert to release the pressure. That's the secondary, like, if all hell breaks loose and you created a special lid that screwed it and sealed it tight, right, then the bottom would invert before it um, it explodes, and then they take every once in a while. I forget how many like thousand they make. They take and they screw it into a unit and literally explode it. Um, they do it two ways. They do it hydrostatically, which is not very violent, right? Because whenever you know, hydro- see when you're when you're when you fill something with water and then you pump water in it to increase the pressure to explode it. Do a hydrostatic test, which is how they test gas tanks. Literally, as soon as the thing ruptures, because liquid's incompressible, it, the pressure goes to zero because the, you know, the difference in volume between water under 1,000 PSI and water under zero PSI is almost nothing. The volume difference is almost nothing. So, um, so yeah, so they do hydrostatic, but they also blow them up with air pressure and make sure that – I mean it, it probably sucks, you know what I mean, from a noise standpoint, but I've seen their rupture tests – and they don't they're not like pieces of shrapnel everywhere they have a very nice failure mode uh like opens up along the the side and just you know doesn't doesn't shatter just opens up so i would say you are 100% safe plus they're completely interchangeable all right cool yeah how much snow you got up there i didn't get to go to connecticut recently is it was the snow nice uh it was okay it sort of turned crappy cuz it rained on uh sunday or whatever so it was like started out as probably about a foot and then the rain came and sort of ruined it on the shoreline. Yeah. 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 You know, uh, in New York, we had some snow. Is there anything, Nastasi, more disgusting than old snow in New York no, City? It's gross. It's so gross. Here's another thing. People take their dogs out to go to the bathroom in the snow, and then for some reason they're like, hey, it's snow. I don't need to pick up the poop. No, especially you need to pick up the poop if there's snow because then when, it, when the snow melts in New York City, people, for those of you that don't live in a city – when the snow melts in the city, the dog poop comes out to play. Like all the dog poop that people didn't pick up just like starts like like it's like a glacier leaving. And all instead of like little rocks strewn all over the glacial till, you get like dog poops everywhere. Right. It's the worst. Speaking of which, I feel really bad. Major, my Labrador, today peed on a fruit vendor's box as they were unstacking it in the morning. What did you do? I, I didn't notice it until it was too, too I don't know, I don't man, it's just horrible, horrifying. Sausage. Horrifying. Ostr- what? Did you go ostrich? Uh, I might have gone a little ostrich. I might have gone a little <laughs> You know, ostrich. we're living in a society. <laughs> wow. I mean, like, the thing is, I mean, what am I going to do about it? Pay him for the whole box of fruit? Okay, I'll tell you a story. I was once with a guy. <clears throat> I was once with a guy, right? I thought this was a family show. It's a family <laughs> show. I was once with a guy, and he was drunk out of his mind, and we were in a taxi cab. And he threw up in the taxi cab. You ever been in this situation, Astasia? No. Where someone's thrown up in a taxi cab? Mm. So the taxi driver starts yelling at me. I didn't throw up, so I don't know why he's yelling at me. But he's yelling at me, and I'm like, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll give you here. We'll get out. I'll, I'll help you clean it, whatever. I'll, he's like, and like, I, was gonna, I paid him like, a lot of extra money. He's like, I can't take in another 
you know, person because I have to go get this professionally clean, blah, blah, blah. I'm out all this money. So I gave him all this money and I cleaned up all the puke out of the back mm-hmm. of this thing. And he's complaining about how he's not going to be able to pick anyone up. And literally, I'm like trying to get my friend like standing again. I look over. As soon as he pulls away, he throws on his freaking dome and picks someone else up within my vision. Within my freaking vision. So I'm not about to pay anyone for it. He's well, like, I can't sell it. Go get of course, he's going to sell the freaking fruit. He's going to sell the freaking fruit. Let me tell you this also. From a, from a disgust level, for, it was just the box. It wasn't on the fruit. It was, okay. the, it was the box. But it was just a little bit. Like a little bit. In truth, a little bit of pee on the box is much less disgusting than what you see every day, which they actually spill their product on the ground. Right? Because pee, theoretically sterile. Okay. Whatever. It's still, it's horrifying. <laughs> it's horrifying. Dave, did you say we had another call or no? We do have another call. All right, caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave, it's Chris from Green Zone again. How you doing? Hey, doing all right. What's going on? Uh, um, well, hey, did you ever I figure out that mint thing, by the way? Question. Did you ever figure out that mint thing? Did you ever get the mint green, green, green? Wasn't that you? No, man. It's, uh, it's impossible. So I have this person that I'm dealing with who has, uh, the, it's not freeze-dried, but it's like similar to freeze-dried. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering whether if you use like this, which I can't talk about her process, but if, if you have like something like that or maybe freeze-dried mint pulverized so the enzymes have been wiped out by dehydration, whether you could get a really serious mint flavor that way. I don't know. You ever tried freeze-dried? No, I haven't, but I'll think about it. Yeah. Anyway, so what's your question? Yeah, so um, I have a bunch of your BDX cocktail cubes, and I think they work you know, quite well. Oh, thanks. Um, one of my favorite bars in D.C. has an entirely hand-cut ice program, so they only shake with one giant hand-cut block of ice. And they get foam on their cocktails. Like, imagine just like a regular sour, like a daiquiri or something. Right. Such a foam as if you'd think they've been using egg white. Um, just from the way they shake and the ice they're using. And, like, no matter what I do, using your cubes, using big ice cubes myself, I can't get that. What size ice cube do they use? I if you knew what precisely they might be doing. I don't. What size ice cube are they using? Uh, about two, two, two inch cubes. Right. So I made, <clears throat> I made the, the cocktail cube slightly smaller than I would have making, making, that would have made it. <laughs> Uh, if I could guarantee what shaker you were using. So, like, the cocktail cube is made such that it will also shake effectively inside of a 16-ounce pint glass. Right. Um, Whereas if I knew you were going to use just, like, you know, uh, standard um, tin shaker set, then I would have made it bigger. So that's probably some of it. Also... Like those ice cubes, the one advantage that ice does have over the one that's pre-made is that it will kind of beat itself into the shape of your shaker as it's shaking. You know what I mean? Right. And so yeah. it'll it'll kind of optimize itself to the shaker as it's being used. So there might yeah. be some kind of um, advantage there. Also, and all their bartenders get good texture or is it one or two bartenders? Um, I've only noticed it from one. I mean, he's the owner-operator, and he's my friend, so when I go there, I try to, like, sit in front of him. How tall is he? How tall? Not tall at all. Huh. Because we had a bartender at Booker and Dax, uh, Michael Smoley, who has, like, super long arms, and I swear to God, that guy's shaking drinks texture are, like, 
I mean, better than I could do, that's for sure. You know what I mean? Like when we were using the same ice, same everything. And, I, you know, I'm a big fan of saying that, like, there's, no, you know, that, sh- you know, that not, not to worry and that we can all get good results, which is basically true. But, man, yeah. his freaking shaking drinks, just because his, uh, is your friend, maybe he's not too tall. Does he have monkey arms? No, not really. Yeah. I mean, like, Smoley's, like, shake is, like, somehow. I you know what you've never investigated. I've investigated speed of shake, but I've never investigated throw length. Does he have an extraordinarily long throw throw length on his well, shake? I mean, it's, inter- it's interesting because he does sort of. I mean, he shakes fast, but it's also kind of like weird, like circular back and forth thing. I guess. Yeah, I've never been able to discern, and you know, we've run the tests where I have like you know a bunch of different bartenders using different shaking techniques and speed and all of that, and I've never obviously found a difference in temperature of the drink and therefore in dilution but yeah. uh, and I wasn't able to notice much textural difference in the first round um, that we did based on texture other than the ice floating on the surface now this was years ago though and we were right. we were using mainly bartenders who were all within a relatively um, narrow range of styles Oh, this and, was on your blog, right? Yeah, yeah, years and years and years ago. And we were all yeah. using the same ice, cold draft. It would be interesting to rerun with big ice and see whether or not shaking style can influence the texture of the drink when using big ice. And you know what? It might be possible because, you know, well, it might be possible. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm wondering is that when I shake with big ice, I'm using regular, you know, ice mold ice, which is not perfectly clear and has, you know, air bubbles and imperfections and stuff in it, whereas they're, you know, carving their cubes out of giant clear blocks. And I'm wondering if the ice itself makes a difference, you know, the character of the ice regardless of the shape. Yeah, I highly doubt it. And my, my, the, the, the thing about the, um, like, frozen shake ice is, I th- you know, it is true that, Sometimes, especially like, let's say you have hard water and or a lot of uh, g- gas, and the ice is super cloudy, right? So it's not just a situation where you have a modestly clear cube with that like white ball of garbage in the middle of it. Okay, yeah. Uh, those cubes tend to rupture when you're shaking with them. Right. And if if your cube ruptures when you're shaking, then you're not getting the texturizing effect of it anyway, right? Because it's it's basically a, a physical effect in, in my yeah, estimation. Maybe, that's, maybe, that's, maybe that is an advantage to the perfectly clear ice. Yeah, the perfectly clear ice won't, sh- won't shatter, but I have to say our shake ice doesn't shatter either. Now, we are New York City water is pretty, um, you know, it's, it's pretty – relatively you know soft and inclusion free uh and and if we if we you know in in our dump sink if i was noticing a bunch of shattered shake cubes i would be i would change what we did because they as soon as it shatters into into pieces it's no longer serving its function as a texturizer but um I, I am now interested in whether i don't have the well you know what like when when we get the new uh, bar up and running. I'll run some tests, or maybe you can run some tests and come come back to me. Different shake styles when using big ice because it's a test I've never run blind. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean one of the things that my my friend has said is that ice sort of kills the foam. So he says he just shakes with one cube, and he shakes it in a way to not break up the cube, 
and then like strains it as soon as possible. He doesn't let the shaker sit around before straining it. Well, that's definitely um, true. I mean, but the same is true of like you shouldn't let it sit around in the glass before you drink it. Well, right, of course. But I mean, so you know, I was doing these tests myself. I made myself a bunch of daiquiris last night, and as soon as I cracked the tin, there was like a huge amount of foam in the tin, and then I poured it out through a uh, cocktail kingdom Corico strainer, so no fine straining into the glass, and like almost immediately the foam dissipated. Right. And I'm wondering, why would that happen? Well, there's not much in a daiquiri to hold foam. You know what I mean? Like, there's just not much there. Uh, yeah. You know, so, you know, and people have tried using different syrups with stuff in it to hold um, to hold the foam better, like gum syrups and things like this. Does, does gum syrup help for that? I've never had good luck with it, to be honest. Yeah, I know, I, I know your I know your opinions on gum syrup. Yeah, I mean, like, but, you know, the uh, that's not to say that other people... You know, with anything in life, right, you you only test what you test, and if you don't find a lot of, uh, you know, if if that tree of inquiry is not bearing fruit, you tend to just drop it. And there could be, you know, it could be that if you just stuck with it or changed your parameters a little bit, you'd get some kind of golden recipe. So, you know, like, I'm totally... Um, and with anything in cooking or you know basically anything in, in life, if someone comes and shows you something that's awesome, then it's awesome, and you got to change your position. You know what I mean? I have not yet right. been shown that. I also don't believe. I believe that. Um, I don't believe that. I don't understand the ice being a kind of a, a foam killer situation. Well, I think he meant like if it breaks up into little pieces, it just. Um, it you know it'll it'll melt and kind of kill the phone. I don't quite understand. Either, uh, I don't really kind of. I, I tend to not believe anything anyone says. I believe the results people get, and then the trick well, is analyzing yeah. how they got the results and what the actual reason is. Right. So what yeah. you know is that your buddy gets superior results. Right. So now we also know that your buddy uses uh, large hand cut. Uh, Ice. So then the question is, okay, if you were to load two shakers with different ice loads, like one regular shake ice and one ice the same size as the shake ice, and have him shake both, do they come out? And then if if that's the case, then it's something having to do either with his shaking or his pouring procedure or one of those two. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. I'd be interested to hear whatever you whatever you find out because uh, when we reopen, whenever you reopen a new place, uh, I think it makes sense. And even if you have the time, it's just hard when you're actually running in service. Uh, it makes sense to um, kind of reevaluate fresh all, all of your precepts. You know what I mean? Uh, and then um, that's how you you know as I say that's how you learn by just constantly reevaluating yourself. It's just who has the time when you're actually in service. You just never have the time to. Yeah, exactly. everything, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and I personally don't have access to clear hand-cut ice, so... Well, you could buy, you know, you can buy it from uh, ice carting places, and then you have the added fun of being able to break down uh, a block. So, you know, for some reason, <laughs> the guys at, at uh, Sambar, like, they were all, like, hemming and hawing about it, but I wanted to get one of those 200-pound ice blocks in, not for service, just you know, as a fun thing for the bartenders to do to kind of break it down. But, you know, we never yeah. we never did it. You know, but then, I don't know, like, remember that, Stas? I was like, I'll, you know, I'll get a chainsaw. We'll do the whole, we'll do the whole thing, you know? Uh, and then it just never, it never happened. But I'm sure if you're friends with this person, they'll lend you some cubes. You take it home, you throw them in the freezer, let them temper out before you use them. Do they pre, they cut to order? Are they that? How long does it take them to make no, a drink? I mean, they cut them sort of at the beginning of shift and maybe halfway through the shift, like the reload. 
Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I'm sure that, like, or you could just go there, like, you know, if you're friends with them, go there, like, before service sometime and, like, run a, you know, run a test with them, you know, something like that. I'd be interested to hear what yeah. happens. Yeah. Yeah, in the meantime, I'm going to send you a picture of what one of their shake and drinks looks, looks like. So you know what I'm talking about? All right, cool. Yeah, then we'll get. Right. Uh, but you know what? We'll we'll have a battle of the East Coast now. Bring uh, bring uh, Michael Smoley in and have uh, Michael go go to town on you guys. We'll see who gets the best <laughs> shake and drinks. Sounds, sounds good. All right. Cool, man. All right. Thanks. All right, you want to take a, a break and come back, Dave? Uh, sure. Right back with cooking issues. episode is brought to you by Juul, the immersion circulator for sous vide by Chef Steps. If you're listening to this show, you're probably a pretty good cook. Maybe you already know that sous vide is the best way to get a kick-ass, juicy steak. And with Juul, a new sous vide tool from Chef Steps, you can do so much more. Smoky tender ribs, homemade yogurt, creme brulee, bright, crunchy pickles, vibrant purees, even smooth, creamy ice cream, all perfectly cooked every time. Juul is sleek and small enough to fit in your kitchen drawer, and it's operated by an elegant smartphone app that's been designed to remove the guesswork, get you cooking faster, and give you the information and inspiration you want when you want it. Browse Chef Step's amazing recipes and helpful guides. Choose your perfect doneness for any meat and get notified when your food is ready. You know you'll get great results, so you can focus on sides and sauces, or just pour yourself a cocktail and chill until you're ready for a delicious dinner. For more information and to order yours now, visit chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. And we are back. Time to do a little more business. We got the uh, got some modernist pantry business to do. Uh, by the way, uh, we don't have an announcement this week for the Spinzol. We do. We are not charging your credit cards. Oh yeah, we should say that now. We had some people. Here's what happened. Uh, let me do. We'll do the ad first. We'll do the ad. Modernist Pantry is created by food lovers and cooking issues fans just like you. Janie, Chris, and the Modernist Pantry family share your passion for experimentation and have everything you need to make culinary magic happen in your own kitchen. Professional chef, home cook, food enthusiast, no matter your skill or experience, Modernist Pantry has something for you. They make it easy to get the ingredients and tools you need and can't find anywhere else so that you can spend less time hunting and gathering and more time creating memorable dishes and culinary experiences. Visit ModernistPantry.com today to discover why Cooking Issues listeners call Modernist Pantry the cook's secret weapon. Be sure to check out their new Kitchen Alchemy blog at blog.modernistpantry.com for free recipes, tips, and tricks. And don't forget to follow Modernist Pantry on social media to keep up with what is new and exciting in the world of culinary ingredients and tools. I think they just called you a culinary tool, Stas. Nice. Sick burn. Yeah, you know, Dax does that all Dax does all that all the time. Anytime anyone says any relatively like word that can be taken in a pejorative way, Dax is like Dad, they just called you that. Like, whatever it is. I think you learned it from. You learned it from watching me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, so what else were we going to... Wait, we were talking about Not some... charging credit cards. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we had an issue. So the we're using a kind of a uh, kind of a fake crowdfunding thing for the spins all called a Thrinacea. What does that even mean? We looked it up once, right? Thrinacea. That girl's drinking 
coffee with MCT oil, cashew, and cacao, and it says it's paleo. What's MCT? I don't know. But is coffee paleo? Uh, well, it depends. I mean, like, paleo, the definition of paleo, you right? You make it as a caveman. Right. But, like, what, what's in there? Coffee. Okay, so we're talking now, like, <laughs> Ethiopian highlands. What else? MCT. Maybe Yemen. MCT. I don't know what that is. Cashew and cacao. So cashews don't come from there. So unless you were, right. like... A like, real... I don't know. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> that's the thing. No, paleo is, like, anything... Basically, it means not grains. Mm-hmm. Nothing that has been uh So they would have been able to make coffee back then. You can go... Uh, I think there are wild coffee species that you could kind of do that to. I doubt that they're using that. You know what I mean? Like... So the Ethiopian would have to go where to get the cashews and then back? Cashews, uh, where are cashews from? I think that they're, they're Asian, aren't they? Aren't they like... Or like uh, also like Afghanistan. Also like th- that paleo person, like, you know, let's hope... You know, getting the cashew out of the cashew apple can be very irritating to your skin. You know what I mean? Like, it, just, it doesn't seem very likely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just seem doesn't seem likely. Yeah. Cashews originated in Brazil. Oh, okay. Oh, what? Yeah. Really? That's what the internet says. Why do they grow all the cashew apples in Asia then? Maybe. Anyway, so new world order. Global economy. So, so yeah. So not possible. So this is <laughs> well, not, not possible. A real. So the a paleo guy <laughs> or woman in like the highlands of I forget whether it's Yemen or Ethiopia, around there, right? That area of the world, right? Finds, like, some high-altitude coffee bush, right? Takes the coffee beans, cherries off. And then you know the story of Caldi's goats, right? The story is is that they, these coffee cherries fell into the fire and got boint, And then the goats ate it. And then the goats went crazy because of all the caffeine. And Caldi realized that the goats were eating these things. And that's what got the goats all hyped up. And that's how Caldi figured out that coffee was the, was the stiznuff, right? Mm-hmm. So what, uh, what we're saying here is that somehow this person got hit on the head, right? Somehow they floated all the way down, right, out. Somehow, like, I don't know how they made it out into the open ocean, <laughs> right? And then around. And then they made it all the way to Brazil. South America, yeah. And luckily, their paleo pockets still had coffee, coffee in yeah. them yeah. that and they then, then roasted. They're like, hmm. And they're like, hey, this fruit that's incredibly like irritating to my skin, if I rip the seed out of it, I can turn that into an edible... And then cacao. Yeah. Well, that's from that same neighborhood. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So he's in luck. Yeah, yeah. He's in luck. Not paleo. I don't understand what that means. Okay. Hey, look, Nastasia, you don't want to insult the paleo. She has a very good-looking colored drink, though. I don't know what the hell that is. It's not the coffee. It's thing. not the garbage thing. Anyway, but my point is, is that people love the paleo stuff. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. So we're not charging credit cards. So back to the spins all. So, uh, so the, the, the kind of weak crowdfunding thing that we use, Thrinacia, like as soon as you stop the campaign, it's like, okay, we're charging everybody now, even though we had told everyone that we weren't charging them. So that's why I gave everyone a pre-authorization, but we're not charging you until we give the next update. And it's going to be hopefully soon. We're working with, uh, we're working with the factory now to get uh, some updates, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, back to some questions. Um, okay. Now, this is Matt, not from Mystic. 
Uh, I found your show a few weeks ago, uh, and I'm churning through the back catalog. Ned, my five-year-old son, is fascinated with the concept of anyone, anywhere, being referred to as the hammer, and asks multiple times a day how he could become a hammer. Any insight you could provide uh, would be to his delight, I'm sure. All right, Stas, so give him some so insight. So cute. I don't know. You're, you gave me that name. Well, it's like, again, I've told people this many times, but like the Nastasia that you get here on the Cooking Issues radio uh, podcast. You won't let me be the Nastasia I am in real life. Well, no. Why can't mean? she live, Dave? Why can't she live? <laughs> what do you mean? It's like you, it's- you don't like it when I, I'm like, all right, one question to the callers. You're like, let them do what they want to do. Well, I mean, <laughs> so it's, well, it's like you ask and then you are like, no, don't do that. Well, <laughs> I guess it's kind of like, but like to really know what she's like, you have to see how she treats me off air or anyone really. Like, for instance, like it could be that she's just like, like Nastasia is someone, and I kind of appreciate this about you. Like you like to kick people when they're down. <laughs> You know what I mean? Um, if you no, think only friends. <laughs> only friends. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, if you're... Just the ones who can take it. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, well... well they yeah. dish it to everyone dishes it and takes it. I don't do it to anyone who doesn't dish it. Yeah, except for the fact that it's also true that you have zero respect for people that can't take it. So do you. That's where we... That's that's the one thing. That's where that, you intersect. That's you the one I mean? thing that we really agree yeah, on. The Venn diagram. Yeah, yeah. don't even... Yeah. Yeah, like if you, yeah, if you can't... It's like, like, it's Nastasia's beyond if you don't dish it, if you can't take it. She's like, if you can't take it, get out of my face. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yes. I don't Sensitivity. know. Sensitivity. Yeah, life's, life's too short and dishing it out is so enjoyable <laughs> that if you can't take it, you're just weak. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like, I would never want to like, I would never want to live in, like, an eggshell world where you had to, like, mm-hmm. you know. But Nastasia, like, the thing that Nastasia is, unlike, you know, me, Nastasia, in, like, enjoys it to the point where you're getting visibly agitated, not because you can't take it, but because she's literally filling time that you could be using to solve a problem with endless queries about how your problem's not going well. For instance, the worst place for Nastasia to be is in the cockpit of an airplane with a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because oh, no, that- she'd, be like, she'd be like, you're losing altitude. You're losing altitude. The altitude is going down. And you're like, I know, I know. You know what I mean? When really, instead of saying, oh, I, I know. Be freaking out in that. You'd be spending. No, you wouldn't. You'd be too interested in messing with the pilots. To like, to like, worry about actually dying. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The stall warning's going off. Couldn't we say the same for you, though, Dave? I mean, <laughs> I mean like for example, yes. when you were uh, grilling her about why she doesn't care about coffee. Oh, Not to open that. That old was wound. a big. That was a, a special one for. No, us. but like that. I mean, like that's <laughs> like the the reason is because also what I know about Nastasia is that. She's just saying it to be ornery. No, that's not true. It's like it's like people who no, say that they like it. it's like people who say they like egg white omelets. Does anybody on earth no. like an egg white omelet? No. Hell no. No, they no. are freaking gross. <laughs> They're freaking gross. It's just a crappy meringue. An egg white an egg white omelet is a poorly made meringue without sugar. It's just like it's gross. You know what I mean? It's just nasty. Nobody likes it. They think they like it. It's like my sister with her freaking 1% milk. Does Ooh. anybody like that garbage? No. No, it's disgusting. And I, what I hate 
is people who convince themselves that they like this garbage and and it's really for like wrong, wrong health reasons. I'm okay like let's say let's say you literally can't have something anymore because you're allergic to it or or it'll kill you, right? Like I can't have cherries right now until we figure out this allergy thing. Someday they'll figure it out. Right? So like if I said I don't like cherries because I can't have them allergic to or then I would be like, okay, the guy is just trying to deal with a problem he has, right? The guy is just trying to take his sour grapes and turn them into sweet lemons. You know what I'm saying? I, I would excuse that kind of behavior because there's no way around it. So you might as well pretend that the way your life is is the way you want it. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of fruit in that analogy. Yes, as usual. But like the but but. In situations like with the 1% milk where what you're doing isn't helping you at all or making a real difference, I just can't tolerate people saying that they actually like it. You know what I mean? I'd be like, just say that you're following it for some crazy health reason or some sort of like belief you have, some mystical belief that, you know, that that, that milk is going to change your life or anything. You know what I'm saying, Stas? Yes. You're the same way. No. On the other hand, on the take the other side of it, uh, just give people what they freaking want. You know what? You know what's not fun? Uh, like like being harangued by someone about your eating beliefs while you're doing it. So like, I'll give you another example. You know how like when you cook something for somebody. Okay, we've had this discussion before. What is your least favorite thing when you cook for someone that they do to you uh, when the, to the food that you've made them? Uh, season it before they eat it. Oh really? My favorite is disassemble and disassemble it. Oh, like a hamburger, and they're like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They take it apart, or like a sandwich, and they take apart the parts of the sandwich. But I'm like, just I assembled it in the order I wanted. To, but the thing is, like, they're gonna enjoy it the way they want to enjoy it. Let's take my son Booker, who, as I said, you know, has some issues with like food. But like, he has his like things so dry that they're. I know they are completely unpalatable. And if you could just have him try the stuff the way you want it, you know, it would be better. Now, but you can't force people you to do it that way. You gave him eggs and chicken for dinner one night. Because that's what he wants. He eats <laughs> only protein. Said, Why am I eating eggs and chicken? You said shut up. No, I said it to you. I said it to you. Look, you don't know what it's like to cook for someone who's extremely picky. But like the, uh, my point being that like it, is that it's a hard as a cook. It's very hard to ride the line between what you want people to like and what they actually like. But you should usually just give people what they want. If they want an egg white omelet. Just give them the freaking egg white omelet. You know what I mean? And then, like, go in the back room and just punch something. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. get, a, get a punching bag, drink an extra couple glasses of wine. <laughs> like, that's a solution. You know what I mean? Um, there is a solution. I'll give you an, ex- I'll give you an example. I'm not going to say who it is. But there's someone I've known a long time, and they're well-known in the food world. At a certain point in college, worked at a Froyo joint, right? And all the sorority... Uh, um, people would come in and they would order the fat-free granola to be a topping on their fat-free froyo, right? (laughs) Now, if you would serve them full-fat granola, they would not have liked it because it's full-fat. Let me give you another hint here. There's no such thing as (laughs) no-fat granola. So what this person used to do was heap the regular granola, which is is basically a method to take oats and have them carry fat for you, right? And, like, put the full-fat granola on top, and they freaking loved it. But if you told them that they were eating fat, and she was to say this, if you told them that they had full-fat granola, they'd be like, can we, I don't like it, it's too greasy, can you get me the granola you used to have? She's like, it's the same granola. But it's not cool. It's not cool to serve somebody something and lie about it. You ever do that? 
uh, yeah. Really? Like, well, they're like, is there any butter in this? I'm trying to be on a diet. And I'm like, no. See, I can't lie to people. The only I, I used to lie. I, uh, the two times I've lied that I can remember about food, two times I've lied. One, I'm sitting there grinding pepper onto a steak, right? Grinding, just grinding a lot of pepper on a steak. And Booker comes up, and he was going through an anti-pepper kick. He's like, are you putting pepper on that steak? I said, no. Because he can literally <laughs> see me grinding pepper onto it. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and then that was it. He was like, oh. And he walked away. And the other was the time that Dax was like, I don't want French toast. I hate French toast. I was like, try my Lithuanian toast. He was very young, and he loved it. And like a couple of years later, he was like, he was like, uh, that was the same as French toast, wasn't it, Dad? I'm like, yes. Yes, it was. You know what I mean? So anyway. Lithuanian toast. Where do we get to? Oh, so how do you become the hammer? Just, uh, I don't know, just, you know, just be be more Nastasia-like, I guess, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Now, for the food question. Years ago, my grandmother taught me to home can tuna, uh, which is uh, raw tuna, a quarter of a teaspoon salt packed in half pint jars, 11 pounds of pressure for an hour and 40 minutes. That's 100 minutes, right? Yeah, that's standard. Uh, and I learned that canned fish need not be vile, dried, flavorless, uh, dried out, flavorless dreck. Every other year or so, we'll haul ourselves out to the Oregon coast and pick up a couple whole line-caught tuna and process them. The quality is so much better than supermarket tuna, it's like a completely different product altogether. I've had the fortune to taste some of the higher-end Spanish and Russian tin stuff. I've never had the Russian stuff. You ever had Russian? No. Uh, Russian tin stuff that's pr- – I've had uh, – anyway, that's pretty uh, damn fantastic. I'd like to gear my approach to eventually aging some of these out as I've heard this is relatively common for Spanish producers to do, uh, though I may be misinformed on this. I'm only uh, able to really find basic tame recipes for canning from my local extension office. Uh, shout out to OSU. Uh, while these are great, they tend to err on the side of caution instead of the side of quality. I'm wondering if you have any knowledge or experience getting freaky with home canned fish. My first targets would probably be trout, mussels, and clams. Razors, long necks, and cockles are easiest to get for us. The whole family retains uh, appropriate licenses to get them, so these little buddies are easy and basically free to get. Thanks for any insight and guidance, Matt. Uh, I haven't actually done my own um, uh, canning. I happen to really like canned uh, fish uh, of all types, including I like canned octopus, I like canned mussels, I like canned oysters, I like canned tuna, I like canned sardines, I like canned uh, mackerel. You like all that stuff, right, Stas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that stuff. Um, but uh, I have had the aged stuff. Harold McGee brought us once uh, aged uh, sardines. I think he had also some aged spam, and he might have had some aged tuna. Remember that? Somebody got sick. Piper, who used to work for us, claimed he got sick, but who knows? You know, you know, with Piper's life, who knows what made him sick? You know what and I mean? Spam doesn't have any gluten in it, right? No, it's just no. A lot of salt. But, uh, but we had them up to, I think, what was it? Was it five or ten years old that McGee brought? Don't remember. It was something pretty old like that. And it was good. Uh, I mean, like, actually, the, the sardines, I think there was so much variance because we had both Spanish and French producers. I think the variance between the different sardines was almost as high as the variance on aging, so it was kind of hard to uh, check out. Also, Lucky Peach did something on aging. But relative to getting freaky with it, here's the issue. Uh, the canning recipes um, are based on the amount of time and temperature it takes to get uh, the fish 
up to a point where spores are killed because tuna is considered – well, not considered – is low-acid um, food, right? So what they're trying to do is kill um, specifically uh, botulism. Uh, now, the time and temperatures that you're using for canning of those things kill all of the pathogenic spores, but I think – for things like clam, you might even actually need to go higher or longer to kill anything that might possibly grow in it, right? Which is why occasionally you'll get cans that'll that'll blow even though you've um, even though you've cooked them. I, I don't know that for a fact, but I read somewhere that uh, clams, in order to be a hundred percent completely sterile against everything ever uh, that you're going to do, need to go um, a little higher in temperature and um, but I'm not sure. So no, I've never gone freaky. You might be able, if you really want to do lower temp, what I would do is this first. I would not, I would try to do a lower time temp and see whether it really makes a difference. Don't try to preserve it. Just keep it in the fridge for like a week, right? Because put it this way, let me just go back, go back for a minute to start fresh. What you want to do is you want to attempt to cook the fish for a uh, – you can't cook it for a lower – at a lower temperature too much because you need to kill the spores, period, right? Uh, that's why you're trying to make it shelf-stable. What you can do is you can see whether or not cooking it at an intermediate temperature even makes a difference, right? So like I, you, let's say you did just regular boiling water canning and you did it for uh, you know – and, you know, 110, 110, uh, 100 minutes, whatever it is, and then you put it into your fridge, you let it age for, uh, you know, you let it like mellow out for like a week, uh, week and a half, it's going to be fine, right? Then you pull it out and you taste it. What does that taste like compared to fresh canned properly tuna? Is it better? Is it worse? It might that it might be actually worse. Those higher temperatures, right? Once you've overcooked the tuna, the higher temperatures might actually re-soften the meat a little bit and increase the kind of meaty, uh, you know, kind of flavors you get out of it. So you might find that those lower temperature canned fish might actually be not as good. Uh, so I would run that test just to kind of see what's going on, whether you prefer. Like whether you prefer it straight out of the gate. Now, if you if you do in fact prefer a lower temperature, let's say uh, like a boiling water can um, where it's sealed in a can, it's just under boiling water, then you can start looking into things like adding uh, nitrites to it to kill um, to kill the botulism, such that botulism can't grow. And then you wouldn't be killing other spore forming things necessarily, but you might make it bacteriostatic enough such that you could age it with a lower temperature um, lower temperature canning procedure. But I would run some tests first to see whether or not it even makes sense. Does that make sense, Nastasia? Yes, we are out of time. What? It's one o'clock. Uh, I had a question on uh, what was it? it was on. Uh, aging from Ritz. What was it about here? Oh, all right. Well, we'll just get up. Oh, okay. I'll get to it real, real quick. Uh, Moritz uh, wrote in about aging uh, and said, by the way, uh, what's the address people should send their questions into? Um, nlopez at bookerandax.com. You got that, people? nlopez, lopez, nlopez at bookerandax.com. Um, Anyway, uh, Moritz writes in, I'd love to hear what you guys think about ultrasonic aging and infusing uh, with regards to um, spirits. And so what they do is, is people have used uh, ultrasound to uh, basically they flow li- liquor over wood chips uh, and then they, they can alter the temperature and aerate it and they hit it with ultrasound as a way to speed age it. And the question is, what do I think about that? And what I think is this, uh, it might be possible to get 
a good tasting liquor this way. In other words, you might be able to get a result that you like, but I never think that accelerated aging or accelerated anything is a substitute for the slow well very rarely like is is this substitute the same thing so i think everyone in the world should just stop what they're doing stop focusing on is uh is rapid in, rapid infusion and long term infusion is rapid aging slow aging are they the same they're never going to be the same it's never ever ever going to be the same the question is they're different are they both useful? Can they both make delicious products? And then if they can, use uh, the technique that you want to get the result that you want. Next week, I'm going to talk about connective tissue because Todd wrote back about a connective tissue. And uh, Nick Devlin in the UK is working maybe on us with some uh, some heat transfer stuff. So we might have more fun, low-temperature uh, meat stuff to talk about next week on Happy Valentine's Day on Cooking Issues. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. (music) 